It's Muppeturgy with a very special episode about the Joel Gray episode of The Muppet Show. Still working on that. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. I can confidently say that now, no matter what order we're releasing these in, this is probably, we think, definitely not our first episode. We're so glad you're along with us for this ride. Who are we? I'm David Levy. I'm Michal Richardson. I'm Christy Bauer. And I'm Adam Grossworth. And David just alluded to this. We are recording these in a funny order because the Muppet Show episodes were made in a very different order than they aired, and they aired in different orders in different places. So we're recording a few episodes in advance, and we don't yet know which order Disney Plus is going to use. So we're guessing. So this is our second episode, and it is, as David said, the Joel Grey episode, which is officially season one, episode three of the Muppet Show. But it was the fifth to air in the US on October 18th, 1976, and the first to air in the UK on May 18th. Uh, And when it was announced that The Muppet Show was coming to Disney+, Plus, the various Disney and Muppet social media accounts that posted about it all used a clip of the opening from this episode where Kermit says, with our very special guest star, Joel Grey. Well, Joel Grey also was one of the celebrity guest stars who Disney enlisted to share the news that this was happening. So that may have been a part of it, was that he was available. Also that. And he, he also is one of the Muppet Show guest stars who is still a star. And alive. And alive. (laughs) So to that end, David, why don't you tell us a bit about Joel Grey? So Joel Grey, uh, most famous for playing the MC, the Master of Ceremonies in Cabaret, both on Broadway twice and on the screen. He won the Tony, he won the Oscar, both for playing that part. Prior to that, he was famous mostly because he had a famous dad, Mickey Katz, who was a sort of the Yiddish weird Al. And Joel, as a young performer, would appear as part of his dad's act. He eventually became, you know, his own actor of great renown on Broadway and on screen. And then, as history tends to repeat itself, his daughter, Jennifer Grey, became a star in her own right. Uh, You mostly know her from Dirty Dancing, I'm guessing. Other things interesting about Joel Grey, unlike the Muppets of the Valentine Show, he is actually from Cleveland. (laughs) And uh, he's still around today. He is... uh, in New York, he's a photographer. He is a director. He directed the Yiddish production of Fiddler on the Roof that ran off Broadway a couple of years ago. And uh, he still performs. I get to see him reprise his role as George M. Cohan in a segment from George M. that they did in the Encore series a couple of years ago. So that was very exciting for me and for New York. So that's Joel Gray. Why don't you get all right. So for our our overall impressions, I just wanted to note because we're going to have clearly a lot to say about the various musical numbers in this episode, but I wanted to give some love to Fozzie who has the story thread throughout this episode. He's working on this joke on any subject act and I've got to admire his determination and his gumption. Everybody is sure that this act is going to bomb. Nobody wants to speak to him lest he tell a joke about what they say. And you got to love that he <laughs> he stands up to adversity. He's determined to practice his act. And by the time he gets to the stage, he actually, he manages to pull it off in spite of Statler and Waldorf throwing a joke his way or material his way that seems impossible to make a joke out of. Fake! 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 He's a fake! 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 Fake am I? Okay, that does it. Give me that word again. Amoeba! Right, amoeba. 
two amoeba walk out of a bar. One amoeba says to the other, say, is that the sun of the moon? And the other amoeba says, I don't know. I don't live around here. <laughs> I did it. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, he, he did it. He's okay. He certainly did. Uh, what does amoeba mean anyway? I don't know. I don't live around here either. Yeah, he did it. Uh, even Statler and Waldorf agreed that he did it. Uh, and I just... It's uh, a good joke. Yeah. What was I, it? I laughed, even though I've heard it four times this week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I laugh whenever I hear them yell amoeba. <laughs> even just amoeba on its own is a funny word. I wanted to also give my award for the second most of its time moment of the week to Fozzie, because when people are trying to give him the silent treatment and he's responding to their silence with jokes. No, no. She had yes, yes in her eyes, but no no's on her face. Uh, tell you, Fozzie. Yeah, um, terrific, huh? Yeah. Well, these jokes of yours are starting to bug everybody. Bug, bug, bug. Oh, fuck out! Oh. Bug out. What kind of joke is that? Uh, well, that was no joke, Fozzie. That was my wife. Those jokes from Fozzie are funnier than you would expect they would be in the year 2021. They still work, and they're not as cringeworthy as you are afraid they're about to be. So, good job, Fozzie. I just want to say, too, that anyone who's had the experience of having a friend in an improv class or even being at a lesser comedian's show where they want to do crowd work knows how real this experience is that all the Muppets are having with Fozzie. He really seems like an insufferable coworker. <laughs> like as a viewer, we're rooting for him, but I'm also very much on Kermit's side. The, when they there's just the the episode pretty much opens uh, with a scene with Fozzie and Kermit. Hi, Kermit. Oh, hi there, Fozzie. Hey, hi. listen, uh, you better go get ready. Go in the dressing room and get ready, would you? Dressing room. Uh, uh, I had a dressing room so small, all the mice were hunchbacked. Uh, uh, please, Fozzie, no jokes right now. I'm a tired frog. Tired frog. I knew a frog who got so tired he fell asleep during his nap. Uh, uh, Fozzie, what is this? Oh, 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 see, it's my new act. Yeah, see, it's jokes on any subject. You tell the subject, and the bear does the joke on it. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Fozzie, please. Please. Take my wife. <laughs> I am also a very tired frog. <laughs> I just relate very deeply to the backstage shenanigans. Mm -hmm. That said, I, I, I don't love this episode. I, I love the backstage stuff, and I love Fozzie, and I love Joel Grey. But the musical numbers are sort of all a little bit meh, and that's most of what the episode is. Um, and we'll we'll get into it a little bit later. But I, you know, felt a little flat to me. And it's interesting, sort of production wise. Right, they shot the two pilots and then went away for a few months and came back and shot this. And it's like so. This is like the first real one that they did. But it it just feels very meh to me. Uh, and I'm not sure why that is because sort of all the all the elements seem like they should work, but I just I'm not that into it. I think the balance between the offstage story and what's going on in between is always sort of the key to whether the overall feel of the episode is that it's a winner or it's middling or whatever. And in this one, the payoff for the backstage stuff in that final act is so great, but the journey to get there is a little rough. Like, like you said, Fozzie's kind of annoying and I don't love the feeling of like, I, I feel the same way that all the other Muppets do, where it's like, oh, maybe if we're quiet, he'll just go away. So that, I think, drags down the episode a little bit. Uh, I also noticed, or I've been trying to notice when we watch these episodes, like, how far into the episode before we get to the guest star? 
And we get to Joel Gray about a minute sooner than we got to Juliet Prowse, but that's still like six and a half minutes into the episode. And that just feels like a long wait for the main attraction. And when your opening sketch is not batting it out of the park, that's even worse. So I I agree with everything that everyone said. This episode feels really unbalanced to me. And I suspect it has a lot to do with the, the ways in which the guest star is used or not used in the musical numbers. So why don't we dive into talking about the musical numbers? So there are four musical numbers in this particular episode. The first one is a very strange version of Comedy Tonight, which is the opening number of the musical A Funny Thing Happened on the Way of the Forum by Stephen Sondheim from 1962. The really strange thing, well, there are a couple of really strange things about the way this is handled, but the general premise for their version of it is a bunch of monsters or ransacking a village or a town or something kind of like pirates of the Caribbean style. (laughs) And the legend and lore behind uh, the origin of this song is it uh, was not the original opening number for forum. It was added to the show during its out of town tryout because the, the show just wasn't quite grabbing people's attention. And Jerome Robbins, the director choreographer was brought in to give them some advice. And he was like, you need a number at the top that tells people that it's, that it's funny because it, it's a very slapsticky, funny show. And so this is about as like on the nose <laughs> as, as a friend of mine likes to say, it's, it's so on the nose. It is the nose, man, this is a nose heavy episode. it's very you know baldly you're in for something funny and the way they handle this is not funny in the slightest with the exception of a couple of really bizarre sight gags that are thrown in something that i i find that the muppet show does a lot in interpreting popular songs is it it shows uh a song through like a child's eye view. So a lot of times we get the extremely literal version of something that's not meant to be taken literally. So, you know, one of the few times I laughed during this was, you know, they say, bring on the lovers, liars and clowns. And the, uh, a group of monsters is kidnapping a clown who yells, ah, it's very strange. But, but the, the other thing about, this number in the original show is it's also centered around the the, the protagonist of the show, Pseudolus, who is the, ostensibly the narrator. So it seems like a weird wasted opportunity to not have Joel Gray involved, especially since he is sort of a, a famous clown. And a famous MC, like he could narrate. Yeah. Yeah, if anybody yeah. would be the one to tell you that you're about to have a comedy tonight, it should be Joel Gray. In addition to what Chrissy mentioned about showing the songs from a child's eye view... I find the most successful songs in the Muppet Show were those where the Muppet performers have figured out their own story to tell through the song, whether that's the story that the song was originally meant to tell or not. Uh, so like in a later episode, when we get, uh, I feel the earth move under my feet and they turn it into like a kaiju monster destroying a town that gives the song that is a pop song, a narrative thrust that takes us through a story. And even though this is not a pop song, it's not a story song. And they give us a scenario, but they don't give us a story. There's no point A going to point B. And I think that's really where it sort of falls apart. Right. And I think that's also because the Muppet conception of comedy hasn't quite fully evolved yet. 
And they actually tell us in the Juliet Prowse episode exactly what the Muppet concept of funny is. That's one of the reasons I always thought the Muppets were weird. Why is that? They think explosions are funny. Explosions aren't funny. Some of them are really quite droll. <laughs> and like that, like, you know, 20 second clip is much funnier and gets to the same point that this three minute song does. Yeah, the staging is more chaos tonight than comedy tonight, honestly. But another theory that I have is so the next number that comes up is Veal Common, which is the opening number of Cabaret. And I, I suspect that the feeling of lopsidedness comes from the fact that we get two opening numbers with opening number energy mm. in a row. Mm. Vilkommen is essentially Joel Gray's signature song. And he won the Oscar for Cabaret only four years before this point. So that's the thing that he's known for. And so it, it would probably be weird for him not to do it, but it's weird for him to do it. <laughs> It's weird for him to do it with Muppets. Like, I I understand that the audience may not have the context, and that I, certainly, watching this as a child, this would have been the first time I had ever heard this song. As a, you know, and, not, and it's not really about anything. It's not like they're doing mine hair. But, though I would definitely <laughs> I would, I would love like, to yes, see please. that. <laughs> Piggy, Piggy would crush it. And this is the thing, like, they they often did these songs, like, out of context and and gave them a different context. So, actually, like, A Muppet Mine Hair would be amazing. Like, you, you always said that I was a rover and there's, a I don't know, a dog or whatever. <laughs> not the point. I'm off, I'm off track. But, like, the songs aren't really about anything. It's just a, It's just welcoming people into a space. But knowing what I know, I cannot watch the Muppets do it without imagining them getting dragged off to a concentration camp when it's over. Yeah, it's, it's right? upsetting. Like, even the orchestra is beautiful, and it's like a band of dogs and cats, and it's just weird, and I don't like it at all. I found it very unsettling, especially because Droop was there, my beloved, beloved Droop. Oh, and them carting Droop off would be extra upsetting. But you know he'd be the first to go. He's very weak. <laughs> first against the wall, Droop. There's also, again, like, no, there's no secondary story here. It's just, I'm going to stand in front of a bunch of Muppets and sing a song. And even worse, I'm going to sing a song that I usually sing as the host, but now I'm the guest. I'm not the host. So why am I welcoming you to your space when I'm the one who should be being welcomed? Which they even call attention to. Benoit Confoncier. Je suis votre compère. I am your host. I am your guest. Like it's actually a, it's a weirdly missed opportunity to not have Kermit do it, to not have like it be some sort of duet. I don't or know. a missed opportunity to not have the premise be Joel Gray is here and he wants to be the MC. So step aside Kermit and have some kind of yeah. power battle. He definitely starts starts out without an accent and then acquires one about two lines in. Like, he can't actually sing it without the accent, which I th- just thought was funny. <laughs> it was like an actor thing because he's been doing it for so long. This was one of the episodes that I watched over and over again as a kid because we had this on tape. There were definitely things about this song. I mean, certainly I had no idea what the context was. I did not know that this was from a musical. This was just the song that Joel Gray sings on the Joel Gray episode of The Muppet Show. I didn't definitely didn't know at the time that there were different languages involved. I thought that they were all just words that I hadn't learned yet. And I kind of 
made up meanings to them in my head. I uh-huh. thought they were singing from cabaret to cabaret to cabaret. <laughs> and I also didn't know, well, this I still don't understand. I, is is the premise the Muppets are trying to sing along and Joel Grey doesn't want them to? Or they don't want to and he's trying to get them to sing along? There is there is supposed to be tension there and I don't know what the tension is. <laughs> I didn't really pick up on tension. I, it just felt like everyone was taking lines. They seem to be having a decent enough time, but but again, like then then they're in the cabaret and we're in the show, and I don't want the Muppets to do cabaret. Yeah, but like that's 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 me bringing too much adult Adam baggage to it. I think, but I I, I still didn't like it. I was fascinated by the choice of which Muppets got to be in the cabaret again because the order of the episodes is weird, and we don't really know what the intention was, this is the first time possibly we're meeting Dr. Teeth. And his date. That That's what I and wanted Dr. to bring up. Who, <laughs> who looks like the Juliet Prowse Muppet that they give her at the end of the Juliet Prowse episode. No, I don't think it's the same Muppet. I mean, listen, I bet Dr. Teeth is like, if there are whatever female Muppets are available, I feel like Dr. Teeth has dated all of them. I, I don't know how much we know <laughs> about his dated personal might be life. a strong <laughs> word for those relationships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Zoot, Zoot's in there too, and you can uh, once well once again whatever order this is in um, as in the Juliet Prowse episode, you can spot Dave Gold's head in the frame. He he apparently took him a while to learn how to stay off camera. <laughs> I um, have to watch this a fourth time to find Dave Gold's head <laughs> again. <laughs> I mean, this will come up more in a, in, an ep- in another episode where they're featured, though it, it it's a Juliet Prowse issue. I had, like the more human a Muppet looks, the more creepy I find them. Yes. Like not the basic anything Muppets that are like human ish. And there's like a whole set of them that are that are meant to look like the like the main Muppeteers and like like the Jug Band and like th- they're sort of okay because I get what they're doing, but when they mix them in, it, I find it very strange. So there's like one Muppet in this scene, maybe two, who really look like people. You mean the one who looks and like Jerry Nelson monsters. because it's the Jerry Nelson puppet? Yes, that <laughs> one. And then the Juliet Prowse, maybe one that David referred to, and then a bunch of monsters, and then the band are the sort of realistic cats and dogs and it's just like a weird mix and i i just i find it sort of unsettling like i just like from from scene to scene i want the world to feel a little more consistent which i know sounds absurd well, but i actually think it, here it's better that it doesn't because the whole point is that they're all all these different kinds of muppets are muppets right so i guess that's true. there's no segregation in the muppet family well, maybe this is again a cabaret problem because <laughs> which of them are going to get taken away becomes the question. <laughs> this is the happy part before they've been segregated. They're just all hanging out. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we have another song with a, a foreign name. Oof. Do we ever? <sighs> uh, so uh, the. It didn't clip it because I never want to hear it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the the next song is uh, Pahalafika, which the the song is a a novelty song uh, from the the 50s by Irving Taylor, who was one of the songwriters of the Christmas song, Everybody's Waiting for the Man with the Bag. That was the only thing that I saw that popped out to me as familiar. And it's a song that sort of was popularized by Soupy Sales in the mid 60s. And, you know, Soupy Sales was a pretty regular TV fixture at this point, the he was on the the panel of the second iteration of What's My Line, which had just gone off the air. Yeah, th- this entire thing is really, really unfortunate. Uh, so the 
<laughs> it's hard to even talk about. I mean, my, my notes just say, <laughs> yeah. To its credit, I was prepared for it to be racist. And it turned out instead to be misogynist slash maybe trans misogynist. So like, can it be both? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My <laughs> note said, why, why be Islamophobic when you can be Islamophobic and transphobic? Yeah. My, mine say, oh, cool. Racist and gay panic. Well, you know, I think we've got it all covered. I, yeah. My note is the joke is she is a dude and she tricked him. That is the joke. Yep. <laughs> well, is she a dude or is she a woman with facial hair? Unclear. I, my read is that she's a dude and she tricked him. And that feels like the seventies take, but I suppose it. Yeah, you could be right. She seems very I mean, proud of herself. Like, you know, the bearded lady is is a uh, fixture of burlesque slash sideshow. So you know, true, true. And it's what it's it's Turkey. It's fake Turkish. It's fake Turkey. Yeah, it's rough. It's, it's real rough. And it's also just like a really fucking predictable punchline. That's the that's actually the worst sin from like a Muppet Show perspective. <laughs> yeah, is that like if you're going to go to the trouble of being racist and all the and hateful and all these other ways, like at least do something original with it. This is, is definitely one of the, the reasons why the Muppet show has a disclaimer on Disney plus uh, <laughs> for uh, racial insensitivity. One thing positive I will say about this number is that as is often the case with, with these sort of like hokey songs, they, the shtick that they do that the background character does in this case, that the, the, veiled character does it is pretty funny before you get to the punchline like Mm -hmm. there's a part where she's like wrestling with a tree branch that gets in her way and like uh i like that that was fun that was not justification for the whole number but it was a good moment yeah and i i think that that's assumed to be frank oz the puppeteering looks like frank oz to me and i I don't know whether anybody gave him any direction or he was just like she's got nothing to do other than prance around i'll have her get in a fight with a plant so I yeah, I mean, that. I just assume if it's if it's Jim singing and someone else clowning, then someone else is probably Frank. So the episodes, um, and we'll explain this a couple times because we don't know what order these are dropping in, yada, yada. In the U.S., these were syndicated with commercials. In the U.K., they aired on the BBC without commercials. So there's an extra sketch for the U.K., which um, is generally on the DVDs and we're assuming will be on Disney+. Plus. And uh, if it's not, good for you. You don't have to watch this one. No, uh, oh, no, you no, do because no. they, they switched it, right? So um, this was meant to be the U.K. sketch, and it, it it, it felt like it to me, um, not to say that British people are racist and homophobic, but like it's, I'm actually surprised, Christy, to learn that it, that it was an American writer and a, and a soupy sales number because it just it has that sort of British panto feel to oh, me. Oh, yeah. Very musical. Yeah. Um, and just often there when you can often tell when you're watching that they're just sort of like the lesser, like the cheaper sketch where like it's it's just like Ralph doing a musical number. It's, you know, it, it they, they, they threw it together quickly, but they they decided that this episode needed more music and they swapped it uh, with a sketch we'll talk about in a bit. So it, this was meant to be the British number, but it was not. And we'll, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, a little bit later, but there is a, a snatch of another song thing immediately following this, which is a, a, a Wayne and Wanda bit. And we'll talk about Wayne and Wanda, but the song that they sing is Stormy Weather, which is a old Harold Arlen, Ted Kohler standard. But th- there was something about following the Pahalafika with Sam the Eagle that felt really on the nose. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we seem to be obsessed with Cleveland a little bit. Uh, <laughs> one interesting note, when I went to look to see if anyone had recorded Pahalafika after the Muppet Show, there is a klezmer band from Cleveland called Yiddish Akal that did 
a recording of Pachalafaka, but with different lyrics that make it into like more Borschbelty Jewish humor. Whoa. So maybe we'll include that on our on our playlist. We we love a redemption arc. <laughs> um, so the the last number is uh Razzle Dazzle from Chicago, which like Vilkommen, uh was also written by John Kander and Fred Ebb. And of all the numbers, I thought this one was the most successful by far for a couple of reasons. One, because it has uh, an actual story driving it. Gonzo has uh, (laughs) declared that he's about to give up show business and Joel Gray helps rally him. Oh, that does it. I'm giving up performing. Poor, just the Gonzo part, not the children part. Poor Gonzo. <laughs> poor Gonzo. Um, but it's, we should note that the number that he's done that has gone over so poorly is he's like destroying a car to the tune of the Anvil Chorus, right? Yes. <laughs> After which he will eat the crankcase a cappella. But another reason why I think this is wildly successful as a as a Muppet number is um, Chicago itself is structured as vaudeville, so. It's a perfect stylistic fit for the general tone and aesthetic of the show. I wish they had done a little more with like, I I wish this had been comedy tonight. Like if he had been backed by exploding monsters, I would have been very happy. You know what I mean? Like it it was a little spare. Yeah. Well, it is a little spare and they, they kind of make up for the lack of a big set or, or a big chorus with a few members of a chorus repeated with weird camera tricks and Joel Gray repeated with weird camera tricks. And it's cool to look at, but it also, it feels like this should be a big finale in a way that it, that it isn't. He does have a sparkly tux and a sparkly top hat, which I appreciate, but I, I wanted to throw that to the room and ask whether all of the fancy camera tricks undermine something that should be a big production number or whether it proves the whole point of the song that all you need is a little razzle dazzle. And if you do some cutting edge uh, camera tricks, then they won't notice that you don't have a set. I mean, I do wonder if we can look at this in 1977 eyes, were the camera tricks impressive? Was that something that might make someone go, Ooh, or, or was it something that seemed as hokey then as it does today? (laughs) And also if we had never seen any of the Muppet movies and never seen musical numbers that actually had, you know, 30 to a hundred Muppets in them. Will we expect the ability to have a big chorus of Muppets in a song like this or, or is TV scale? Is this, is this actually about right for TV scale? Well, no, but we've seen comedy tonight in this episode, right? Which is more splashy, I think. Um, And I've seen razzle dazzle done on a bare stage with end ranking choreography and, I don't know. I just, it, it felt a little flat to me. I agree. I actually agree with Christy that it's the most successful of the numbers in this episode. <laughs> like I'm not, I just think, um, and I think Joel Gray does, does a great job with it. I just, I wish, I, I wish they had subverted it more is I think mm-hmm. the intelligent way of saying what I'm trying <laughs> to say <laughs> that, that, that that's, which I think is what we're sort of getting at with, with, with Will Come In and Coming Tonight also that like, what, what is the Muppet version of Razzle Dazzle? That's not a sparkly tux. That's actually like super weird. That's what I wish they had done. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. For me, it works because it felt like a character moment for Gonzo, where, again, this is with with 2021 eyes, knowing that he develops into the great Gonzo, who does really take this lesson to heart of give him the razzle-dazzle, and eventually 
will be the person who water skis through hoops of fire while chickens impersonate Tony Bennett singing the 1812 orchestra, <laughs> the 1812 overture. Uh, you know, like that, this feels like the origin story for that moment. So uh, that worked for me. But I do, I do hear you and I do agree. And I actually noticed when the credits rolled, there are a couple of different choreographers who worked on The Muppet Show. And this episode was a Jillian Lynn episode. And she's best known. Well, now she's probably best known because there's a theater named after her in London. But there's a theater named after her in London because she's the choreographer of Cats. And when her credit rolled by, I actually stopped and thought, wait, was there choreography in this episode? Right. <laughs> so it definitely, it, there definitely is uh, a little bit of a of a hole here. I will say that, David, your point about looking at this through 70s goggles is important because this looks a lot like pre-MTV music videos to me. Like if you look at any of like ABBA's music videos, there's a lot of the like weird camera tricks and a lot of time spent in close up. So I think it's of its time in that way. That makes sense. And what we've been saying about this being the most successful episode, I'm uh, sorry, the most successful number of uh, everything they've given us before. And when we arrive at this one, it does make you wonder a little bit like, hey, you guys have been holding back on us because Joel Gray could be tap dancing or he has this uh, beautifully expressive face when he looks right at the camera and says, everyone loves the big bamboozler. And you you want more from him, but the episode is over. So oddly, in terms of canonosity, there's two big firsts in this episode, at least in terms of the production order. This is the first appearance in production of Wayne and Wanda, who I was surprised, and Sam the Eagle, I was surprised to learn that Wayne and Wanda did not make it past the first season because they're, I mean, they're stupid as hell, but they're, <laughs> they, I remember them so much, including this sketch. Um, though, I, of course, all Wayne and Wanda sketches are basically the same. Um, so it's possible that I don't actually remember this sketch. To ensure that the quality and moral content of this show is above reproach, I, Sam the American Eagle, am proud to present the singing duet of Wayne and Wanda, besides being tremendous singers in their church people. <laughs> Don't know why there's no sun up in the sky, stormy weather. <laughs> so, uh, something that's interesting about this clip, this joke is sort of stolen from the film Stormy Weather, where during, except there is played straight, but during Lena Horne's performance of the song Stormy Weather, there's like a very impressive storm that kicks up on the stage and it sort of transitions from being in a nightclub to being outside in a storm. And it's a very, it's a great production number. If you've never seen the film Stormy Weather, I highly recommend the whole film and also just seeking out this one clip, which we'll include uh, on our show notes if I can find it on YouTube. I find that little aside from saying about them being church people very strange. It's so funny. It is so funny. It is, but it feels very weird in every way. It is disorienting in this day and age. And also that introduction was paired with a different Wayne and Wanda sketch on the Muppet Show original cast album. Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
Yeah, and my head wants to go to, when I hear him say they're church people, my head wants to go to a different Wayne and Wanda sketch because of the Muppet Show cast album. Yeah, I get why Wayne and Wanda, I mean, it's it's just the same joke over and over again, but I love it every time. So, like, I sort of, I get why they didn't stick around, but I feel like they could have kept popping up here and there. I mean, also, like, that's such a staple of the kind of vaudeville show that the Muppet Show is built on. Like, if you think of the Broadway musical Follies, like, they are the Whitmans, right? Like, like you could, if you were casting your your Muppet Follies, Wayne and Wanda sing Rain on the Roof. <laughs> right. Right. And they're, they're actually the, they're the type of Muppet that I find a little bit creepy that I was just talking about, um, right? They're a little bit too human. And so I sort of like that bad things happen to them, right? Like they don't quite belong. And I, I like that about they're them. They're infiltrators. They're non-Muppet almost. Well, yeah. Like they just, they're like, you, they're like, they're from a different time, right? Like they don't, they don't quite belong on the show. The other uh, big first, two Muppet News Flash segments, uh, and I just clipped the first one. Muppet News Flash. <laughs> Dateline, New York City. A former circus daredevil who billed himself as Boffo the Human Cannonball fired himself out of a cannon yesterday into a crowd of holiday shoppers. Fortunately, there were no injuries to the passers-by. Boffo was not so lucky. Said his wife, the former Mrs. Boffo, I guess I'll just have to pick up the pieces and live my life. That is dark. I have nothing else to say about it, but that is dark. The second one is uh, is less dark and, in my opinion, less funny, but but is all sort of sort of in a similar. It involves hostage taking, and I, yeah, I always liked Muppet Newsflash as a kid, but maybe never quite understood why. I'm curious as we keep going to to see if they're all in this vein. Yeah, stay tuned. And then we have an at the dance segment, which there was one on the Juliet Prowse pilot but i think we're all fans of at the dance so i made a clip you know george i come from a very old family uh, mine's older oh really how old uh, my family's so old it's been condemned <laughs> you know, i'm really stuck on you oh how sweet you love me no i'm just stuck on you our friends George and Mildred from the holiday episode appear. We get a little bit of their uh, backstory, which we had speculated about, which I like. Uh, and the pop-ups on the DVD confirmed for us that George never appeared after the first season on The Muppet Show, but he does cameo and other things. George incidentally had the most violent re- reaction to Fozzie trying out his jokes about anything, but he threatened to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then that second bit I love because it's, it's a classic Muppets trope where when she says, I'm stuck on you, it's literal. Her nose comes off and gets stuck to the her dance partner, which I call the Muppet tradition of body horror. <laughs> and I, I'm just, I'm a big fan of anything where the Muppets lean into their, their puppethood. So I enjoy that. Yeah. Muppets come apart. No getting away from it. Uh, so we talked a little bit earlier about the concept of the UK sketch, but we didn't talk about what this UK sketch is. And I think it's, Interesting, not because it's a particularly good sketch, although it's not a particularly bad sketch, but it does have a couple of characters who uh, go on to greater things. So, Michal, do you want to go first? If you thought that the sketch that was going to be aimed at British audiences was the song about Turkey, you were wrong. It's a sketch about Sherlock Holmes, played by Rolf, trying to solve a mystery with the assistance of... Watson, who's played by a dog named Baskerville. That's a lot of Sherlock Holmes names in only two characters, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> They're there to prove that the 
butler did it. The butler here is uh, played by a giant monster named Gorgon Heap, who if if Gorgon Heap shows up in your sketch, it's usually there to eat people until there are no more people to eat, uh, which he proceeds to do here. If the name doesn't ring a bell, Baskerville is the little, what is he, like a dachshund? Uh, he's a little, he's a little uh, hound dog who you sometimes see with Rolf. He's got floppy ears and little kind of beady eyes and sometimes has a little bowler hat on. And he's actually just as old as Rolf is. He premiered alongside Rolf in Purina Dog Chow commercials in 1962. And it's interesting that they, with, you know, with so many of the characters where Jim was the main character, there was a, a Frank Oz character who was sort of the, the, the foil to them. And that was what Baskerville was designed to be for Rolf. And unlike, say, Kermit and Fozzie or Kermit and Piggy or Ernie and Bert, uh, Baskerville never quite caught on, although he's in a lot of episodes of The Muppet Show, but often just sort of in the background. And I think he's still familiar to, to people today because he's featured background player a lot. But it's it's weird to me that he didn't really manage to develop beyond just being sort of like that other dog. He does a great uh, tremble as he is terrified of getting eaten. He's good at that. I was going to say, I think Baskerville is the funniest part of this particular sketch. I mean, between the the trembling and fear, but also he has a very quirky St. Clair Cockney accent. He's the only one who really goes for the accent. <laughs> and he's like, hey, he's been shot, Ohms. And it's very... <laughs> and considering that they were taping this in London with a British crew, that's that's ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> There's a there's a, one of the trivia bits on the Juliet Prowse episode says that the production designer realized that the British crew needed a little help because the Western saloon set looked a lot like a pub. Mm. So that 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 went both ways for them apparently in the early episodes. Just thought it was cute. That is, it's cute, and I I do love the the little improvised Gorgon Heap. I I assume that it's just Frank improvising. I think it's when he's eating Baskerville. He's it takes a, a long time to get somebody, either Baskerville or Miss Piggy, into his mouth, and he just goes, tough. <laughs> He's trying to digest them. I'm a fan of Muppets that eat other Muppets. Oh, and I was a fan of uh, Gorgon Heap's other uh, other line in this episode uh, during Comedy Tonight. There's a way that he delivers something appalling that just has stuck in my <laughs> head for my entire life. There was a period of time where I was taking the Metro North train a lot. This is, I'll, I'll explain why this is relevant, but because I had to ride past the Pauling stop, I think the stop after Pauling was where I got off. But the little note that went off in my brain that it was going to be time to get off the train soon was that I would sing in my head uh, the town of Pauling to the tune of comedy tonight because it would be something appalling, sounding like organ heap. I'm realizing that I think one of the reasons why Baskerville never never sort of broke out is because there was not a single performer who really took to him. Uh, so in this sketch, it's John Lovelady, but in most of the rest of the Muppet show, it's going to be Jerry Nelson. Frank Oz performed Baskerville sometimes. Dave Goals did it sometimes. Jim Henson originally did Baskerville. So, uh, you know, I think that's one of those cases where it, like the character never quite found the right performer. And so eventually they fade away. Unlike Miss Piggy, who uh, is still finding her performer in this episode, even though she she will find the right performer eventually, but she is both Frank and Richard at different points in this episode, which is unnerving. She doesn't have a lot to do in this episode, though, does she? 
No, she just says that Fozzie's driving her bananas and she gets eaten. I think that's it. It's also a banana-heavy episode. Hey, why the hat? I got my new car outside, Gonzo. You want to go for a spin? Sure. Gonzo. Hey. (laughs) Relax, relax. I didn't mean actually go for a spin. It's just a a phrase like uh, you don't actually bite the hand that feeds you, do you? I mean, one doesn't eat one's heart out, does one? I mean, one doesn't talk through one's hat. I hope not. I can talk for myself. I think I'm going bananas. I thought you were going for a spin. (laughs) In the tradition of bringing in a Muppet just for the sake of making a joke about the thing that that Muppet is. Here we have a banana who thought Joel Grey just wanted to go for a spin. I love that banana. That highlights the thing that I think that they they will get better at is the more the star interacts with the Muppets, whether whether he's horrified by them or disgusted by them or really into them and delighted to be there. Like that's when the show shines. And maybe that's actually a little bit of what was missing from this episode. Mm. Yeah. Even in the, the talk spot in this episode, it was such a missed opportunity where the whole joke was that Kermit had over-researched. And so he introduces Joel gray and then there's nothing left for Joel to say. And that sort of feels like what happens with the whole episode. Yeah, and this even even just in audio, like that clip is so delightful. And if if there had been more of that, and I certainly like just thinking of like things I remember from episodes we haven't rewatched yet, I think that's where it, it gets really good. So lots to look forward to. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. We're recording this in early February, but by the time you hear this episode, The Muppet Show will be on Disney Plus. So we hope you'll watch along and share your thoughts with us. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Bryan Backus, and this episode was edited by me, David Levy. I laughed at multiple nose jokes in this episode. I Yeah, I'm a sucker for nose jokes.